Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 30 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwalbach, and alongside me is Chad Knight. Howdy. This week we'll be concluding our TV theme series, finishing up with those themes that have some kind of song that was used in the theme itself. The song may tell you what you're about to see or introduce the characters. We're going to try to limit our choices to those that were written specifically for the show, so some random song grabbed off the Billboard chart to be the show's opening theme won't be on this list. So grab your snack of choice and get your AIS while we get the show started. (laughs) A little AIS action, huh? Absolutely. So do we want to tell those out there in the world what what AIS means? Uh, I guess we can do that. we got a little time here. AIS is a reference that I had heard on Everybody Loves Raymond. If anybody watches the show, which I'm sure a lot of people did because it won a ton of awards. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Raymond's dad had the AIS thing for the kids that was ass in seat when they were going somewhere. If you didn't AIS by five minutes, you were left without. Well, apparently Raymond did that to his wife. And dad says, no, no, you never do that to the wife. It's okay for the kids, but not the wife. And, of course, hilarity ensues. Absolutely. So, get your ass in the seats and... Well, let's kick it off, man. Where do we want to start? Uh, let's let you go first. All right. I'm going to start with one of the perennial, long-running, loved-by-everyone themes, and that's Cheers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's where everybody knows your name. I mean, it's it's gotten so many different uses throughout the years in other sitcoms. You know, there was all the there's always the gag on the whole, uh, the, you know, somebody walks in and it's like, Hey, Norm! Or whatever, you know. Right, right. Uh, Norm was from Cheers, of course, you know, and then you had uh, you had your uh, your main characters. You had... Uh, Sam? Sam Malone. You had the... Uh, the Diane. The, Diane and the... Uh, Woody. <laughs> do you want me to do this one? Yeah, or? yeah, you go ahead. Just let me... I'll, I'll jump in when I need to. <laughs> we got Sam the bartender, who was a former Red Sox pitcher, I believe. Correct. Um, Diane, who was the on-again, off-again love interest that... Freaking left after X amount of seasons, which was great. It was I, also she was also the manager of the joint. Uh, Diane wasn't no. Uh, or was that the Kirstie replacement? Alley? Um, okay. Uh, what the hell was her name? Um, Rebecca. Rebecca was. Okay. Um, she became, came in later. There was Woody, the airhead from was he from Iowa? Iowa I think I so, say. like Corn, Iowa, or something. Yeah. Then you had Norm, the barfly. You had Frazier, who had a great spinoff later on. Correct. And his wife. Lilith? Lilith, yes. Oh, God, she was a frigid bitch. And then there was Norm and his wife. um, Can't remember her name, but you never, ever saw her. One episode you saw her. Oh, really? Yeah, there was a a Thanksgiving episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. saw it by accident, and she's actually in it only long enough to throw a turkey at Norm. Ah, nice. And then there is Cliff Clavin. The little-known fact is Lou makes himself... Lou wants to be Cliff Clavin. All except for the mail carrier part, thanks to Teeman. (laughs) (laughs) okay fair enough but you know it was just a show it was a fun show there was of course like all oh and carla can't forget about carla Carla, the bartender the The, the, the waitress the waitress she was the sassiest little thing ever absolutely and uh you were married to danny devito in real life how could you not be i would yeah i would assume so but you know it was it was one of these shows where everything 
focused mostly around like Sam and the the girl of the week or girl of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that was uh, Rebecca or it was the other one. Well, she who shall not be named, apparently. I can't think of her damn name. Come Diane. on. Diane. You know, it, it was focused around them, but everybody had a part in it. You know, Norm was in every episode, I think. I think Cliff Clavin was probably in just about every episode. Pretty not close, every episode. Yeah. And it was just fun. It was it was always wrapped up in 30 minutes. I mean, there was a few two-parters throughout the years, but right. it was wrapped up in 30 minutes. Everybody was, for the most part, you know, a good person, and... It was just a lot of fun. Why don't why don't we just take a listen to this theme song? Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You wanna be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You wanna be where everybody knows your name. You know, it's just like I said, I really enjoyed the show. Unfortunately, I'm not on my game today, so my brain isn't 100% here, but I'll do the best I can. I'll work through because it's for you out there listening to us, and you're really here for the music and not really what we're talking about. So what are your thoughts on Cheers? You know, I just remember watching it. It was on CBS, and correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Um, I believe you're right. I love the show. It was always fun to watch. I liked it better when Kirstie Alley came in because I did not care for Diane's character. Coach was hilarious. Yes. Coach was very good, and some of the best one-liners were at the beginning of almost every episode when somebody would say hello to Norm, and it would always be like a one-off. Like, yes. Like, um, like I, I can't even think of one off the top of my head, but there's always like one thing that they ask, like, how you doing, and then he comes back with some smart-ass comment, and it would be so perfect. Right. And who doesn't want to go to a place where they know you are, and not because of a bad reason? Right. Yeah. You, you know, know, it's just because you're going to hang out with your buddies. Yeah, I don't know anybody who didn't like this show. I really don't. No, I can't think of anybody either. So, what do you got up? Next, I have The Good Old Boys for the Dukes of Hazard by Waylon Jennings. All right. Dukes of Hazard, as everybody knows, was a CBS show from, what was it, 79 to 85 that ran for seven seasons and 147 episodes. It was based on the movie from 1975, The Moon Runners, which was about running moonshine. Imagine that. The Duke Boys, Bo which was John Schneider and Luke Tom Wopat, were on parole for transporting moonshine illegally and were constantly foiling the corrupt schemes of their parole officer, County Commissioner Jefferson Davis, Boss Hogg. Yeah. And his inept sheriff, Roscoe P. Coltrane, James Best. And, of course, some people watched it for Cousin Daisy in those tight little shorts. More people, even though they won't admit it, watched it for the General Lee, which was an orange 1969 Dodge Charger. I love that car. Absolutely. I, you know, if I had the money, I would own one. I would have it painted that way. Oh, just because, absolutely. Just because it's, it's an so icon. iconic. Exactly. So iconic, and it's one of those. It's one of those things that I fell in love with. I mean, I own several seasons of The Dukes of Hazard. It kind of lost something when when John Schneider and Tom Wolpat left the show. It did, and that's actually part of one of my notes here, too, is that it was complete cheese, but it was also fun to watch even today, especially if you forget about Coy and Vance. Yes, Coy and Vance, that was the name. Let's take a quick listen. Just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Straightening the curves. Flattening the hills. 
Someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will. I have to say, back in the day when this show was popular, and even after a few years, everybody had something Dukes of Hazard. I mean, hell, I'm looking around this room right now, and I see a Dukes of Hazard game. Yes, actually, funny story about that game. It's the year I went to Gen Con, so 2007. I go into the auction, and I'm like, I'm kind of freaked out because I've never really been to an auction What can before. I get for a dollar? Yeah, kind of, but it wasn't even that. So this, it was really early, it was very early on Thursday, the, you know, the con had just opened. They were just starting their, their, their auction. And I walked in there, and I'm like, you know, this might be fun. I've never done an auction before. I got some cash in my pocket, you know. And they're like, the Dukes of Hazard board game. And I'm like, I like the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> and they're like, starting bid, a dollar. And I'm like, I'll take it, you know. And I put my thing up, and another guy pops his, his ticket up, and I ended up paying $5 for it. Oh, my God. I know. And it's an absolutely horrible game. Oh, I can imagine. It's, I mean, they were totally cashing in on the whole... The name. Dukes of Hazard thing. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, hell, Dukes of Hazard everything. I mean, the lunchbox. Just that was the big thing. Remember the plastic and metal lunchboxes with the yes. thermoses back in the yep. day? I mean, anything that was anything had that. Or t- those little tin TV trays with the foldable legs that you could get. I think I might have had one of those. Okay. So, I mean, they, yeah, ashtrays, you know, I mean, you get anything with Dukes of Hazzard on it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those iconic shows. Everybody's watched it. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? There was, there's, there's been a lot of controversy okay. over the show recently, mm-hmm. especially, you know, having the stars and bars on top of yep. the uh, generally. And I'm just like, you know, it, for one, people don't know what the Confederate flag was because it was not the stars and the bars. No. You know, it was, the stars and bars were part of it up in the corner, mm-hmm. but the stars and bars is actually the battle flag of Virginia. So. <laughs> and if you watch the news as of right now, we don't even want to go into that. Exactly. And we're not going to go into it too deep, but I'm just saying, you know, it's one of those things. If I had it done, if I had it painted, if I had the car and had it painted today, the stars and bars would be on it because that's part of the whole thing. Well, you know, and actually funny you should mention that because remember they made, I think it was in 2005, they made a movie version of it with Jessica Simpson, Johnny Knoxville, etc. There were talks about not putting the flag on top of the car. And I think the director, who was one of the guys from Super Troopers, Jay something or other, I don't know okay. how to pronounce it, basically said, no, it's part of the iconic history of it, and we'll write it into the movie, which they did, and they were driving in downtown Atlanta. Right, right. And surrounded by people who were like, you think this is funny, racist, blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. It's... Two country white boys from out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, that would be an ass-whooping episode of Cops right there. <laughs> so what do you got next? All right, up next, we're going to go with that. Before school, had to watch it every day, Saved by the Bell. Every Saturday. Oh, you watched it on Saturdays? It was on, it was on every morning on, um, I want to say TBS, before school. My sister watched it. I may have been first run, actually, when it was on Saturday mornings on NBC. Okay, okay. And, you know, this was just one of those shows. You had your preppy guy, your preppy main character, Zach Morris, and then you had the, the cute girls. You had... Uh, Jesse and Kelly uh, and Lark, or not Lark, uh, her, the real name was Lark, um, Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. So you had these three really hot girls, I mean that California kind of hot girls, you know? Yeah. And then you had the, the jock friend who was Slater, and then you had Screech. Which is the nerd that everybody knew. Yeah, but he was he was like beyond nerd. He was, oh, he was a caricature. Of a nerd, yeah. exactly. 
it, it was a great show. I mean, it taught decent <laughs> let's, values. Okay, let's go. It wasn't a great show. It was a good show. No, it was a great show. <laughs> okay. I'm going to disagree with you there. <laughs> All right. It doesn't necessarily stand up to time. Oh, no, no. It, the references are so dated. Yeah. Watch his cell phone. Just, we'll just oh, put, yeah. Yeah, the brick. Yep. But it had great moral stories. It had great ideals of how a person should be. And, of course, it was hilarity that got you to those points. Oh, yeah. But let's go ahead and take a listen to the song. When I wake up in the morning and the lawn gets out of water, I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I grab my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. It's all right, because I'm sleeping on the bill. I don't know. All right, so you don't think it's a great show. You think it's a... It's a good show. It's a good show. So, what are your thoughts? You know, and I'll be straight up honest, and I know that she's probably not listening, so I'll mention her anyways. My sister watched this all the time, because she had a thing for Zach. Uh, see, I had a thing for Lark Vures. Lisa. Okay. It's, you know, and she had a thing for Zach, because he was the typical blonde preppy, whatever. You right. know, he was the cool kid that was the bad boy, but not really. And, I don't know, it just... The show itself, I mean, obviously it was dated back then. It's dated now. It's still entertaining to watch, but it's not a great show. <laughs> I actually empathized and, not empathized, um, was, I don't know, I was with Screech because I was the nerdy high school guy. So I guess I felt for him more than anything else. So maybe it was empathy. Yeah, I I get that too. I kind of always was that way as well. Because I certainly ever, never was the jock in high school. Yeah, no, n- neither was I. I mean, I mean, I did play sports, but I was never the jock. I didn't play school sports. I played summer sports. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of thing. And and I was okay, but no, it was, for me, school was, you know, it was theater. It was French club. It was, you know, talk about nerdy things. That Dude, you were like half the lyrics of white and nerdy right there. I know! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just... It was just that way for me. So for me, it was, it was definitely I, I was one with the screech. You know, I mean, Dustin Diamond has turned out to be kind of a asshole. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I saw him in concert. Well, finger quotes concert. He did a comedy show at school. Actually, I got an autograph from him. Yeah. And he was this before or after he started stabbing people. Before. Okay. And he was kind of a dick then. I mean, it was kind of funny, but it was a lot of covering your mouth, kind of like. Did he really say that? Yeah, yeah. It's shocking, but not shocking for the sake of being entertaining, but shocking just to shock people. Right, right. So so what do you got up next? We're going to stick with Saturday mornings. I've got Pee-wee's Playhouse. Mm. <laughs> I didn't say the secret word. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it was written by Mark Mothersbaugh, which was the lead singer of Devo. Okay. And performed by Ellen Shaw, which was a stage name for Cindy Lauper. And Pee-wee's Playhouse, I mean, man, really, what can you say? I mean, the guy was a live-action cartoon, for really a better way to put it. CBS Saturday mornings for five seasons, which was only 45 episodes, plus a Christmas one. Which, 45 and 5, that's only nine seasons, nine episodes a year, which is pretty slim. But then again, how many Saturdays are there? Right. Um, You know, Paul Rubens. 52, by the way. Oh, yeah, I suppose that would be right. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, you get one every now and then. I'll let you have that. Um, Paul Rubens was Pee Wee Herman, the red bow tie, suit wearing man child, surrounded in his playhouse with talking everything from a chair to a kite to puppets to marionettes to Terry. Conky. Terry was my favorite. Terry the pterodactyl. I liked Conky. Oh, Conky was good. Yeah. Um, well, let's just take a quick listen. We'll continue. 
mentioned Conky, that was the robot who gave the secret word, which was every time you heard it, and it was usually something simple like because or water or something that everybody would scream real loud. Yep. And even at home, we used to do that. In fact, my dad used to watch this, and it was still pretty hilarious. And then, of course, the genie, Jombie, with his magic words. Ah, uh, I can't remember. Mecca, lecca, hi, mecca, hi, hi, yeah. You know, and the show brought some pretty big guests in here, like Lawrence Fishburne was uh, Cowboy Curtis, uh, Phil Hartman was Captain Carl. It was goofy, immature, and irrelevant, but it was hilarious to watch. And it always, just like you're saying with Save of the Bell, it always had some kind of lesson to it, you know, like, you know, don't screw your friends over or tell the truth or things like that. So even though it was funny, it still had a just so you know type message at the end. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse was one of those fun shows i loved as a kid and my mother if she caught me watching it it got turned off really oh yeah she she didn't want anything to do with peewee's playoffs she thought it was not appropriate for kids and in a lot of ways you know watching it as an adult i'm catching a lot of stuff kind of like pixar stuff where it's like oh wow yeah yeah. that's cute as a kid but as an adult it's like oh my yeah exactly and it was there and but you don't see it as a kid right and you know, and that's why we let our kids watch Pixar. You know, that's why we let our kids watch Disney shows. Well, hell, SpongeBob even. Oh, yeah. Oh, SpongeBob's my. really bad. Yeah. There's a few things on there that I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse, it it uh, spawned a bunch of movies, or two movies. Or is it three movies now? Oh, gosh. Big Adventure, Pee Wee's Big, Big, Big Top, Top, and then this new one. Um, oh, Pee Wee's Holiday. Holiday Adventure. Which was actually pretty good. Yeah, I was impressed. Considering I was, I was that there expecting was a, the worst, I'll be honest, because of the gap. Yeah, there was like a 20 or so year gap in there, and I'm like, but it was really good. I mean, and Paul Rubens, Huey mm-hmm. Herman, does not age. Either that or he's got the best makeup artist in the world. Or yeah, some kind of cake makeup that makes him look. You know, and it's it's nice to see that he bounced back, because he was pretty damn funny back in the day, you know, and then he had his Pee-wee's legal issues. fun house. His fun house time. Yeah, he had his legal issues, but then he came back to acting. He was thrown in a bunch of stuff. He was actually, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Gotham. Bits and pieces, yeah. He was Oswald Cobblepot's dad. Yeah. And it was just like, good for you. You know, and he was in Mystery Men, which is one of the most underrated. That is an awesome flick, man. So I'm saying it's an underrated movie that most people kind of crapped on, but it which, was pretty what, funny. I can't remember. What was his... The was... Spleen. He had like SPDs. The, yes, The Spleen. Okay. So what do you got next? All right. So up next, I have got Happy Days. Again, this is this is a 1970, late 70s, early 80s run. Mm-hmm. You know, it had Richie Cunningham, it had Potsy, it it had uh, Arthur Fonzarelli, or the Fonz, mm-hmm. or Fonzie, and then Ralph, uh, Ralph, Ralph the Mouth. I think it was Ralph Melf, actually. Yeah, Ralph Melf, but they always called him the Mouth because he was the he was that redheaded guy and he was always yakking his oh, face. Oh, yep. Okay. Those are your main characters. Then of course you had Mister and Missus Cunningham. You had Al. The guy who ran the uh, mm-hmm. bar, yep. which is the bar that Laverne and Shirley worked at later on episodes, spin-off. which was the spinoff to Laverne and Shirley. You also then, in the later shows, you had, he had a sister. Um, Ch- uh, Joni. Joni, 
And then and, Chachi. And then Chachi, which was Scott Bale, which then rolled off into a sort of spinoff, Charles in Charge, which was a different character, but... But they also had the Joni Loves Chachi thing that right, they died Joni's, horribly. Well, it was a horrible show. But, well, let's take a listen to the, to the theme song, and then we'll talk some more about it. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend comes, my cycle humps. Sky, hello blue. There's nothing can hold me when I hold you. Feels so right, it can't be wrong. Rocking and rolling all week long. I don't know about you, but the biggest thing I always remember is this was supposed to be set in Milwaukee. Yes, it was set in Milwaukee in the fifties, like the American Graffiti. I think wasn't American Graffiti supposed to be kind of based on like Happy Days, the movie almost? Yeah, that that to a degree. Yeah, that theory has been out there. It was just one of these shows, though. It was good American, you know, clean cut, good American, wholesome. Ron Howard, uh, you know, Potsy and, and Ralph, and they were, they were, you know, the, the trio of clean-cut guys. But when you really listen to them, when they're off by themselves, they were just guys. It was kind of And like, they wanted to be cool. It was kind of like grease, but not dirty. Right. And, you know, and then Fonzie came along, and Fonzie was the hood. Mm-hmm. He is the most clean-cut, nicest hood I've ever seen in TV. <laughs> yeah. But he... Kind of embodied that bad boy that was acceptable in TV in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, he was the one that kind of got these guys to go a little further, do things a little less acceptable. But not too bad. But not too bad. It was nothing that would ever really get them... Hurt, arrested, or killed. Right. So, you know, the kind of the kind of hood you want your kids to hang out with. Well, my kids to hang out with. There you go. That would be like for your oldest to be like, you know, do something that slightly breaks the rule, but not enough that I get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right, because I like sleeping at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, and I just remember Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi was in that for a lot of the shows. Yes, too. he was. Arthur was it? Arnold. Arnold, okay. When Al, when they got rid of Al, when Al sold his burger joint, mm-hmm. it was bought by Arnold. His malt shop. <laughs> yeah. And so it became Arnold's. Okay. It that's was, right. You know, and that was later on. But, you know, everybody talks about, you, you hear the, sh- the theory, the show, move, uh, the TV ideal of Jumping the Shark. And that is yep. based on a Happy Days episode. It is. Where Fonzie gets on a pair of water skis, gets pulled around, and in Lake Michigan, jumps a great white shark. In his leather jacket. Yeah, of course. And it doesn't get wet. That was the best part of it. It doesn't get wet, and of course he has time to look straight at the camera, give his thumbs up with his hey, and then, oh, God. And that was really the start of the downfall. Even though there was, like, I think two more seasons after that, that was where the show started the downfall. And now that's used for any show when it hits its apex, and then it's a decline, It's they've jumped the shark. Yep. So... I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts overall about the show? I don't really have a whole lot extra to say. I mean, really, you've kind of nailed all the topics. It was another one that had good family, everyone-can-watch-it situations. Yep. It had usually some form of moral, sometimes wide out in the open, sometimes a little hidden. <laughs> you had a brother that went upstairs and then never, ever showed up again. Oh, yes, the older brother. I don't even remember what the brother's name was, but it's almost like 70s show where they had Donna had a sister that showed up in like two episodes and never, ever again. Well, Eric had a sister that would come and go, and they'd actually make comments in the show about, has anybody seen Laurie? Well, and it's, it's a drug stints. Right. And then you, as, as a watcher, though, you're like, 
yeah, we haven't seen her in like 10 episodes. And then she'd show up for three episodes. And Well, the only reason that people wanted to see where she was was A, because she was a smart ass, and B, because she never wore a freaking bra. True. So, and they I had two see, different actor- actresses. They had the two actresses, and honestly, for me, neither of them were cute. Uh, they weren't bad, but Donna still overshadowed all of them, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even with Mila Kunis there, who is gorgeous in her own right, but she was only fucking 14. Yeah, but Mila Kunis, though gorgeous, oh, what is her name? Laura Prepon. She is actually like a girl that you can look at and you're like, I could have a chance. A girl next door. Yeah. Exactly. You know, she looks like a real girl, not like Mila Kunis, who looks like a starlet. Okay. Yeah, I can buy that. So I think that's why Donna was always the one I kind of went, you know? And it was the red hair for me. She lost a lot when she went blonde. I'm sorry. You know, it's not even the red hair for me, but she did lose a lot when she went blonde. But here's the thing. You know how they made up for that? They put her in the Catholic school outfit. So they're like, yeah. okay, well, we're going to change your hair from the awesome redhead to the blonde, but we're going to put you in a Catholic school girl outfit. So that'll make up for it, because people will stop looking at the top and start looking at the bottom. <laughs> I guess that's one. You know what? On that, just what? What do you have next? You know, next we're going to go to another one that is not really whole family wholesome, but still very, very clean cut. And that was Green Acres. Oh, okay. It was written by Vic Mizzy, who was the same guy who did The Addams Family and a lot of other stuff in, in history. It was performed by the main character, Eddie Albert. Green Acres was a CBS sitcom on TV for 170 episodes in six seasons, from 65 to 71. Uh, it was a fish-out-of-water comedy about Oliver Wendell Douglas, Eddie Albert, who had always dreamt of being a farmer. I I don't know if I could be a lawyer in New York and dream of being a farmer. That just seems a little... Bass backwards to me, but whatever. So he uprooted his life in Manhattan, moved with his wife, Lisa, Ava Gabor, from the big city to a farm out in the middle of nowhere in the town of Hooterville. The Hooterville, yep. Hooterville, yep. Absolutely. You know, well, let's just listen to the theme real quick. Just give me that countryside. The character I really loved from that was the little pig. Oh. Do you remember? Uh, I think it was Arnold, the Arnold, pig. Arnold, yep. And it was just one of the neighbors had this, this pig. But the pig was hilarious. They put the pig into these stupid situations where it was just being a pig. But it was just funny. You know, and, you, and then you had like Mr. Haney who would just screw him on everything. Be like, yeah, it'll cost you an extra $5 to get a <laughs> curtain between your walls. And then he had to go up on, like, a phone pole to actually make a phone call. Yep, yep, because there wasn't any actual phone service. You know, and the he walked behind his tractor, even in the opening sequence. You know, I mean, it was a, just like the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, they moved from one to another, except this one was exactly was the reverse. reverse. Yeah. And the jokes were very similar. I personally thought that Green Acres was funnier than Beverly Hillbillies, but it depends on the episode. Yeah, I would agree with that. This was one of my dad's favorite shows. Of all time, Nick at Night played the hell out of it. It was most times in black and white. What do you think? Now, I remember on Nick at Night watching Green Acres. My mom was another one. She loved Nick at Night. We would watch it most nights. Oh, yeah. You know, and Green Acres, like I said, I really loved the pig, but there was a lot of colorful characters. 
Ava Gabor, just because she had that huge, you know, Hungarian accent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they dressed her, you know, in the nines all the time. And she was just very much that character. And I and I, I have a feeling that she wasn't too far from Ava Gabor. Real life, I suppose, yeah. You know, and then you had the, the lawyer that became, you know, he's just like, I'm done with the stress and the hassle of being a lawyer. I just want to go live on the farm where it's peaceful, it's calm, you don't have to worry about things. But, of course, he's constantly running into situations. Oh, yeah. And that's the, that's the whole point of sitcoms, but... It was always, you know, like you said, the guy who would come and try to sell you anything. And I remember one of the things that they tried to sell in one of the episodes was an automatic chicken plucker, which is a real thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But at the time, it would have been new technology. And so, you know, they'd be like, no, we're not doing that. Have you ever seen how one of those things works? I I have seen one. terrifying. I have not seen how they work. I have seen one. There's an episode of Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe right. where they show him with a chicken plucker, and it is horrifying to watch. Well, I'm guessing they just kind of dropped the dead chicken in there, and it would, like, beat the hell out of it to get the feathers off. Kind of. I mean, it's one of those things where if you get in the wrong spot, it would mangle you. Oh, I believe and it. And if you survived, you'd wish you didn't. Like anything on the farm, actually, if you think about it. Right, right. Like a hay baler. I, who would want to live going through that? But anyways, on a lighter tone... Yeah, got a little dark there for a second. No, if I remember correctly, and Dad, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, one of his favorite characters was the motorcycle riding Chuck Charles. Okay. So Charles Charles. Yeah. And I don't remember the episode too much, but I just remember hearing Chuck Charles a lot. Yeah, I I don't even remember that character, but it's definitely something within the realm of something they would do. And I believe, and I don't know which came first, I think this one came first and they spun off Petticoat Junction or was it the other way around? Oh, God, I don't know. But yeah, they were, one was a spinoff of the Because other. they were both Hooterville. Yes. So, hey, listeners, if you know, write in. Yeah, yeah, give us a line. So what's next for you? All right, up next, I have got probably one of my favorite shows growing up. Okay. So Laverne and Shirley. All right. So now it, you had uh, Laverne DeFazio, played by Penny Marshall who is an amazing actress. I think she's very underrated for her ability as an actress. Oh, the Marshall she, bloodline. Oh, my God. You know, but she also is a director, you know, and, and a writer. So she gets a lot of praise for her directing, and she does an amazing job. But I think she's underwhelmingly forgotten about as an actress. And I think she did a lot of good stuff. And she had a roommate, Shirley Feeney, played by Cindy Williams, who just was cute as shit, I always thought, you know. Petite little girl, black hair, just, I always thought she was cute as shit. Kind of neurotic. But then again, yeah, they both were. Yeah, they really were. In different ways. You know, and so they were, they had this apartment they shared in Milwaukee. They they both worked at the, uh, the beer plant. And they were bottle inspectors. So they would sit there and watch bottles go by and make sure, you know, that there's nothing dead floating in it, that everything's got a top on it, that, you know. All these things, and um, it's actually kind of funny because my mother, when she was young, was a bottle inspector for 7-Up. Nice. So Did you always have 7-Up in the house then? We did. We did. She would sit there and watch these things go by, and she said one time she actually found a mouse sealed in a bottle of 7-Up. She has no. She goes, I don't know how it got in there. I, I'm like, obviously it got put in there, you know, somehow, whether it was in the whether it was in the bottle before or after who knows but i'm like you pulled that one right and she's like yeah <laughs> i would hope so <laughs> so then they had two neighbors they had uh leonard kanoski or lenny uh played by michael mckean who 
he's been in a lot of things, but most importantly, he was in This is Spinal Tap. Loved him in that, loved him as Lenny, and then of course there was Andrew Squigman, better known as Squiggy, played played by David Lander. And honestly, I don't know if there was much he did after Laverne and Shirley. No, I don't think so. But he so. played this little tiny he he was like the fifties version of the nineties wannabe gangster. You know, he wore the slick hair, the leather jacket, and he so did not fit that mold at all. He was like a short version of Kinnicky from Greece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably the easiest way to think about even, it. Even more desperate, though. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you know, there was a bunch of other characters. You had Laverne's father, Frank. He was in it quite a bit. You had Edna Mecca. She was the landlord. She was the nicest landlord ever because she never actually collected rent. In all the episodes, I never saw her collect rent. You know, and there was just other people. But it was overall, it was just a show about two women trying to make it in the quote-unquote, big city of Milwaukee. And, you know, their theme song, well, take a listen to it. We're gonna do it. Give us any chance, we'll take it. With us any rule, we'll break it. We're gonna make our dreams come true. Do it our way. Nothing's gonna turn us back now. Straight ahead and on the track now. We're gonna make our dreams come true. Do it our way. You know, it was just, it was a great show. I, I enjoyed it. What? What do you think? It was a fun show, and I have to say, it's watching that, especially being so I have family that are from the Milwaukee area, I've se- I saw a lot of things that I remember seeing as a kid. I'm just like, I've been there, I've been there, I wish I could go there, I wish I could work there. <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks that working at a brewery would be the best place to work, but, you, you know, know, I'm sure, I'm sure it has would. its downfalls, depending on what you do. Yeah, I mean, and they... they... I want to say that it was called Shots Beer. Shots. Shots Brewery. But they used the the outside shots of the brewery were actually Miller. Okay. Yep. So, you know, it was always kind of funny because they would have to put the Shots Beer or the sh- whatever. I think it was Shots Beer. And I always would look at that and my dad would go, look, that's the Miller plant. No, dad, it's the Shots plant. <laughs> you know, you're a kid. You have no idea. Yep. Should we move on? Sure. Next one I've got here was, according to our new arrival, the theme song for Mr. Belvedere. Performed by Leon Redbone, uh, Mr. Belvedere was an ABC show that was part of the TGIF block of comedies. If you remember that from back in the oh, yeah. late 80s, early 90s. Six seasons, 117 episodes. It had Christopher Hewitt as Lynn Belvedere, a Brit housekeeper who answered one ads for the Owens family, which included George, played by Bob Euchre, yep. Marsha, Eileen Graff, Kevin, Rob Stone, Heather, Tracy Wells, and Wesley, <laughs> Bryce Beckham, and... The comedy was twofold. Um, the family was adjusting to having Belvedere around, and he, Belvedere was adjusting to living in the suburbs with the Owens family. Before we go too much further, before we forget about it, let's listen to it. Streaks on the china never mattered before. Who cared when you drop kicked your jacket as you came through the door? No one glared, but sometimes things get turned around and no one spared. Look out below, there's a change in the status quo. Gonna need all the help that we can get. Now, Mr. Belvedere and Wesley were often at odds with each other, trying to, you know, one-up each other sometimes with witticisms, and George and uh, Belvedere would be butting heads about how to do things, and I mean, and you almost can see the Wisconsin seeping out of George uh, Bob Euchre's pores right, during right. this show. And it wasn't 
just because Euchre was in it that it was funny, but it had messages that weren't really as preachy as a lot of the other sitcoms, which if you really go back and think about it, the the messages from Saved by the Bell was kind of preachy. The messages from Happy Days were kind of preachy. This one was kind of like... Different Strokes was the worst oh my one God. the preachy. Yeah. Um, Growing Pains was pretty bad too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But this one kind of toned it down a little bit. It was more like Family Matters than Full House when it came to that, because Full House was preachy also. Yes, very Fam- much so. Family Matters, not as much. I just remember an episode of 2006 of Family Guy when Stewie is trying to watch Mr. Belvedere and the family's talking. And he's like, trying to watch Mr. Belvedere here. And when they keep talking, he starts yelling the TV theme. <laughs> it just over the rest of the family, which was off key and it was just hilarious. I, right. I loved the show. I've got, a, um, I think, the first couple seasons on DVD and it's just hilarious to go back and watch. It doesn't totally stand up, but it's still comical. Yeah. You know, Mr. Belvedere was one of those... I didn't watch it a lot. I, I'm guessing my parents weren't fans of it. I mean, I knew of it. Bob Euchre, of course, now as an adult, you look back and you're like, Bob Euchre's the man, you know? Especially if you're in the Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, Miller Lite or some sort of hot dogs he's pitching now. I can't think of the brand name. Is it Usingers? Usingers. And it's like... He's all over Wisconsin. He is, you he's know. Mr. He's Mr. Baseball, Mr. but he's Baseball also Mr. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say about the show itself other than I did enjoy the character of the butler. Mm-hmm. He was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the Bob Euchre character. I can't remember much more about it, to be honest, so. Yeah, the the brother and sister, the, you know, Robin, uh, what the hell was it, what did I say? Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin and Heather, kind of forgettable. Wesley the Kid, like I said, him... Bob Euchre and Belvedere pretty much were the central of all episodes for the right, most part. Right. So that's kind of where I went with it. All so right. How about you? So up next, I'm going to go with a show that isn't so much of a sitcom. We'll get back to sitcoms in a second, but do you remember as a kid sitting down on PBS? I don't know if you watched a lot of PBS as a kid. Certain time series. Certain time slots I did, yes. Right. This one, I always loved. It was Reading Rainbow. Oh, yeah. It was a half-hour show. It had LeVar Burton was the spokesperson or the guy that read the books, talked about the books. And it was just, he would come on there, he would read a kid's book, and he would explain to you what the book meant. In kid terms. In not, kid terms, Not right. like pretentious terms. Right. It, it wasn't like, you know, somebody, you know, even Mr. Rogers, he kind of reminded me of Mr. Rogers in that way because he broke it down to the kid's level. But didn't talk down to. Right. Exactly. So, well, let's take a listen to the song, because the song is really iconic. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. In later years, as I'm watching Star Trek Next Generation, <laughs> and Jordy uh, LaForge comes out, and I'm like, he kind of looks familiar, but of course he's got that visor thing on. Yep. So you're like, and I'm kind of watching it, and then they start rolling, and I'm like, LaFar Burton? I'm like, the Reading Rainbow, dude? <laughs> right. You know? And he was still doing Reading Rainbow at that point. In fact, Reading Rainbow ran up through 2006. Yep. It ran from 1983 to 2006. In a little bit of, of Lou knowledge here, 155 episodes over 21 seasons. Holy cow. It ran a long time. Yeah, it did. Obviously, from the number to the seasons, he obviously 
took breaks when he was doing other things to, you know, because I'm guessing PBS pays a lot less than, say, <laughs> Paramount or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he would he would do these shows, and it was just... I always loved them. I always... Because they would be like, oh, I'd read the... And then I'd see this book, and I'd be like, well, he read it, and then I'd go, are there other books in that series? Sure. And you'd look at those books and try to read that kind of stuff. You know, I liked on the show also how they had kids come on and do kind of book reviews. Yeah. Instead of just being an adult saying, this is a kid's book that you should read because it's good and here's what it's about. And it's like, okay, that's great. I don't know about you, but when I'm told to read something, I will go out of my way not to. Whereas if someone says not to, I will usually go for it. R-rated movies as a kid or things like that. But but yeah, I enjoyed reading Rainbow. I thought it was pretty good. I know that um, they wanted to bring it back, and I think they did, actually. I think they resurrected it either for a short run or... I don't, I don't remember off the top I of don't head. remember. Well, through 2006, I think there had been talk of it, but I didn't see anything new. Huh. I'm going to go next with the theme for Baywatch. I'll Be There by Jimmy Jameson. Wait, there was a theme? A legitimate, actually sung theme song, obviously, did, for this episode. Did it, did it happen while the girls were running down the beach in the opening credits? Yep. That's why I have no idea what it is. So all of your other senses just completely tone out except for vision. They shut down. <laughs> so Baywatch was technically a drama <laughs> that revolved around L.A. County lifeguards who patrolled the beaches. It premiered in 1989. It was canceled after the first season for low ratings. Imagine that. But was revived in first-run syndication in 91, where it kept going until 2001. So basically after the first season, they said, ah, this is shit. But then they're like, you know, we're going to try to syndicate it, and it ran for 10 years. So it ran one season over and over for 10 years? No, it ran one season, and it sucked. They, I guess, I don't know if first-run syndication means that they can pick it up and write new episodes. I would hope so, because if they ran one season for 10 years, that would be ridiculous. You know, I haven't seen a lot of episodes, but... I don't think I've seen, like, you know, like, there's certain shows. Uh, MASH, for one. Have you ever watched MASH? It's like, if you see it on TV, it's always, like, one of six episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, 70 Show does that. No, Big Bang Theory. Do they? On TBS, yeah. And it's always like, I know there's more than these seven episodes to MASH. And actually, per this here, it's showing that um, it ran for a total of 11 seasons for 242 episodes. Okay, so, so they must have, first first run syndication must mean they can continue making them. Yeah, it's it's not on the primary network or something, but they can just it change right. the name somehow. In any respect, we have the, I don't even get, can't think of a good adjective for it. David Hasselhoff as Mitch, Erica Eleniak as Shawnee, Nicole Eggert as Summer. Oh, God, really? And then, of course, Pamela Anderson as CJ. Let's uh, take a listen quick. Anderson's boobs didn't have a name in the credit, though, because they kept they changing. Should have. You know, I honestly, I've never been a Pamela Anderson fan. No, not really. I always thought there was, there was, um, later on in the series, wasn't Carmen Electra? I think so. And now there, now we're talking about somebody in a red bathing suit I can take a, take a gander at. That's, I liked Erica Laniac. Okay. Um, and Nicole Eggert was good looking in the show, too, but of course, because she wasn't the biggest buxomist blonde... Yeah, I mean, Pamela Anderson, they pushed that character, and it was just, you know, and then she did Tool Time, 
And, for a little while, yeah. Yeah, and I just never understood the draw of Pamela Anderson. You know, and honestly... I get it when she's in the pages of Playboy. Well, yeah. But I don't get it as she's not that good of an actress. No, and there's too much work that's been done. I mean, trying to keep your former glory days just didn't really work. In any respect, I'll be the first to admit I never watched the show. I, I really didn't at all. I knew the premise and, of course, the ladies in the swimsuits and the running in slow motion, all that jazz. But it just, it wasn't... It was a drama, which for me, I really didn't watch too many dramas. I was more of a sitcom or educational show, because I'm a nerd. I feel ya. The theme itself was infectious as a pop song. It kind of draws you in. The biggest earworm of the song, and I have to say, this was... Um, when I went to Florida in 2003, one of the guys I went with, he insisted on singing the opening line in a dramatic form. The I don't even remember. It's like, some people stand in the darkness or whatever. He kept singing that as often as it was appropriate. It was just hilarious thinking back. And even though I never watched the show, I knew the song. And that is always what stands out for me. Not the bouncing boobs, not anything else like that. It's just like my trip to Florida. (laughs) I, as well, was not one who watched the series. I've seen a few episodes here and there because I think my wife tried watching it at one time because she likes the drama shows and Mm. that kind of stuff. It just never... And David Hasselhoff, the only thing I've ever liked him in was Knight Rider. To be okay. completely honest, because I didn't, you know, it was just not, it, like you said, it wasn't something I, I watched on a regular basis. I could care less about the bouncing boobs. And I think uh, we should move on. Yeah, I think we should go on to the next one. So my next one is got one of my favorite actors in it. In his early years, it's Three's Company. Three's Company was a show about three people that lived together. It was uh, Jack Tripper, and he lived with Chrissy and Janet, Janet Witt. It was Joyce, Joyce, Janet, but it was Joyce Witt. Wasn't Joyce it? DeWitt was okay. the actress. And Suzanne Summers was Chrissy Snow. And the three of these lived together. And the only way they had been able to get the landlord in the late seventies to allow them to live together since they weren't married was he believed that Jack was gay. They would put on this show that Jack was gay, but they kept getting into situations where the landlord really should have known that Jack wasn't gay. He had all those effeminate qualities that, you know, in the 70s, people, you know. Like being a chef. Like being a, well, not so much being a chef, but he was. Guys didn't cook in the 70s. Think about it. True, but he, you know, he dressed nice. Mm -hmm. He liked nice things. He was fit. He was fit. All these things, you know, and. Which, if that's the case, the both of us are totally not gay. Totally not gay. (laughs) Uh, But John Ritter played Jack Tripper. I thought it was amazing. He was kind of a slapstick, kind of character. He had kind of a Pratt falling type, kind of like Dick Van Dyke did. A Chevy Chase type Pratt falls all the time. And he would get into situations where he would be macking on this girl and everything would be going great. And then the landlord, Don Knotts, shows up, you know. (laughs) Uh, Norman Fell. Norman, the... uh, No, I'm sorry. Stanley Roper. He was the original landlord. And then Ralph Furley, played by Don Knotts, took over in season four. So these these landlords would show up, and he's supposed to be gay, and here he is, you know, making out with a girl or something. And he would just break into this, oh, my God, you're a girl, ah, you know, kind of thing. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Let's take a listen to this music. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are. Hers and hers and his. Three's company, too. Come and dance on our floor. It 
was one of those songs that was like, come and knock on our door, you know, kind of thing. And it was just like, it was like, it was such a happy song. It was very inviting. Yes. <laughs> and then you had this Jack Tripper. So what did you think of the show? It was okay. I, I didn't really watch it first run, obviously, because that was in the 70s, I think probably before our time. 77 to 84 was the original run. Yeah, well, hell, I was an infant, so maybe I did watch it. I don't know. Yeah, we might have. I might have too. But, um, but I watched it on Nick at Night. Because it was always on. They always had the old showy reruns. It was all right. Suzanne Somers looked good in the bikini because that's how she always pranced around and she was supposed to be an idiot and she played the character well. I'm um, not sure how much she was playing that. Well, I don't know. She was a sheriff in a different show. But in any respect, um, no. And then the Ropers got a spinoff, and, which was terrible. And I'm, I'm glad Don Knotts took over. I will say that because the Ropers were awful. Yes. They were just terrible human beings. <laughs> And Don, well, Mrs. Roper was awesome. She knew Jack wasn't gay. Well, yeah. You know, and she was always, she always had the, the three of those. She had their back all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's move on. We've got, I've got another Nick at Night one that I, this is one of my all-time favorite shows, actually, and that's The Addams Family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Vic Mizzy, which we talked about earlier with Green Acres. Um, Addams Family was based on a New Yorker cartoon that was written by Charles Addams. And it ran for 64 episodes from 1964 to 1966, so 32 episodes a year, which is pretty decent. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Uh, focuses upon uh, Gomez and Morticia. They live with Pugsley, Wednesday, Uncle Fester, Grandmama, Lurch, and Thing, which is basically just a disembodied hand that, in the movies, was able to run around all over the place, but in the, the original show, series. it was just a box that would open up that would be able to get the mail or... Light a cigar, right. or whatever else, and actually the hand was Lurch's hand. Oh, was it the guy who played Lurch? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen this show, we'll just put this out there. Let you listen to it for a second. The show's humor really came from a clash of lifestyle. There was the family and the rest of the world, you know, like a bearskin rug that would roar and gnash its teeth. Whenever they would uh, ring the doorbell, it would be a gong. Or whenever they called for Lurch, it was like a big old foghorn, I think it was. It tell, it, The theme song does a great job of telling you what you're about to see. You know, the house is a museum. When people come to see them, they really are a scream. Yeah, family. Exactly. I loved it. I own this on DVD, the full series. I love this show. The movies were okay, and Raul Julia did a great job as Gomez. Yes. Although um, Angelica Houston was really, really good as Morticia as well. Um, I might argue that point, but she did a she did a very passable job. Okay, and then of course um, Fester Christopher Lloyd, Lloyd was great. Fest. Yes, as Festus. The, the kids were de decent. Yeah. Um, I mean, the boy really didn't have that much to do. I mean, and, Christina uh, Ricci as Wednesday was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. It's it's just a great show. I, I can't really say enough about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it was one of those shows, and I'm going to jump to the movies here, because one of my favorite interactions with Wednesday in the outside world was in one of the movies where they're trying to sell lemonade. Her and Pugsley <laughs> are trying to sell lemonade. And these Girl Scouts come up, and they're like, is there real lemon in your lemonade? And then they get into the discussion, and they're like, well, we'll buy some lemonade if you buy some of our Girl Scout cookies. 
And Wednesday looks at her and she goes, are they made with real Girl Scouts? It's just one of those perfect things. But oh, back, yeah. back to the TV show. And I have to I have to throw something in the, this. Um, in the movie, the first movie actually it was, they have the two characters, the this sleazy guy who's trying to weasel them out of money. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, his wife is like, I don't even know why I married you. And he goes, because I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the show, though. It was it was great. The, the the character of Morticia, there was there was an attraction there. Even as a kid, I thought she was gorgeous, and I always loved the way that she would prune the the roses. She'd cut the rose tops the off, off and yep. slew the the thorns, you know, and things like that. But it was just it was an all around kind of a spin off or a kind of a same kind of thing as like the Munsters, mm-hmm. you know, where it was very much they were they were a world upon themselves, right. But and instead of being actual monsters, they were just humans. Humans, right? They were very gothic mm-hmm. in in their in their lifestyle. Oh, you think? Well, I mean, you know, nowadays a person that's gothic would not be that. So, I mean, no. they were gothic in the classical sense before it was cool. Yes, <laughs> they were they were hipsters before they were hipsters. I suppose they drank PBR too, right? We can hope before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was it was a great show. I loved it. I loved watching it. You know, as a little kid watching it on Nick and Knight, it even gave you just enough scare mm-hmm. that you're like, I can watch something scary. But it wasn't really scary. It was a tingle, but not a hair raising. Right. Yeah. I have to say my favorite part, because I am a train guy, was Gomez and his trains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those were always awesome. Especially the when they would collide and explode. Mm-hmm. It was, it was it was a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to go into my last one for today. And that's one. This show is one that I didn't watch a ton of. But I remember the theme song, and I think I didn't watch a ton of it because I didn't think I think it came on Nick at Night like you know after bedtime. So you're laying in bed and you'd hear the theme song, and that is uh, Welcome Back, Kata. Which <laughs> did you go all Boston on me for a second? Well, that's the way they said it. <laughs> Kata. Kata. <laughs> so you know you had uh, Gabe Carter, who was Cotter. Cotter. Yeah, I'm gonna say Cotter. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell I'm gonna say. Let's Welcome... just say Gabe. <laughs> yeah, Gabe. He was the teacher of the class. You know, he was a very soft, gentle-spoken, very flower-agey kind of guy. Kind of a hippie. Yeah, a little bit, but not quite a hippie, you know. He was more like a reformed hippie. There you go. Perfect. Because, you know, the show ran, and I want to say the show ran from 1975 to 1979. Some of the big names in here, well, the big name in here really is John Travolta. He played Vinnie Barbarino. I mean, it was that classic stereotype of the John Travolta character. Mm-hmm. It was it was basically the same character he used in Saturday Night Fever. There was a few shows that he did, you know, mm-hmm. that he had a different name, but he was Vinnie Barbarino. Yeah. There was there was the other guys. There was the vice principal was in there a lot. There was uh, John Sylvester White, and he was just kind of this grumpy old bastard. Then you had Arnold Horshack, who was they they call him the class clown. He was. He was a guy that was always – he was very Jewish. I mean, obviously his last name Horshack made him Jewish, but, I mean, they played up that stereotype very much, including the way he talked. That was one of the main characters. Then there was Freddie Boom Boom Washington. He was the token black guy. He was the sports jock kind of guy. And then you had Juan Luis Pedro Felipe de Huevos Epstein, who was this Puerto Rican kid. But his – I can't remember – his mother was Puerto Rican, and then his father was Jewish. I can't remember Epstein exactly. Epstein would sound like a Jewish yeah. name. So he was this—he was this Puerto Rican guy. And he was fiercely Puerto Rican, but then he had this little bit of twist to his character. Huh. Is what it really came down to. 
So it was just a class, and almost the entire show takes place in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And they are called the Sweat Hogs. They're the guys that aren't making it in regular school. Remedial. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just typical sitcom. But let's go ahead and listen to the theme song. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around. But those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Who'd have thought they'd lead Who'd have thought they'd lead and when I say typical sitcom, I mean it is typical in the way that it's there's a situation in every episode, and through comedy, they solve that situation. Did you watch it much? I'm going to be completely out there for you. I literally have never watched a single season of this. From what I understand, it is basically the polar opposite of the Howard Hessman show, Head of the Class, if you remember that one. Yep, he, yeah, He basically much. had these smart kids who right. were too smart for their own good, which he did, which I think Welcome Back, Cotter is supposed to be the opposite of it, where it's kind of the... Smart in their own way, kids. Right. So I have nothing to add. Sorry. Okay, perfect. What do you got to wrap us up here? My last one is thank you for being a friend from the Golden Girls. <laughs> don't start with the feels. <laughs> I got it, man, because, you know, the Golden Girls, and I don't care what anybody says, it's an amazing show. Oh, yeah. It is one of my old lady crushes come from there, and it's probably not who you think. Do you want me to guess? Yeah, I want you to guess. Estelle Getty. No. <laughs> you like Sophia. Don't lie. No, it was Dorothy. Oh, B. Arthur? B. Arthur. That was actually going to be my first guess, but that was too obvious. No, B. Arthur was like, I don't know, when I was like 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, I was like, <laughs> she was my guilt. <laughs> Anyways, The Golden Girls was, a, was an NBC sitcom that ran from 85 to 92 for seven seasons and 180 episodes. Revolved around four older women living in Miami, Florida with Blanche, who was the house owner, the Randy Widow. Betty White as the kind-hearted but kind of doofy Did Rose. Yeah, with stories about St. Olaf all the time. B. Arthur as Dorothy's Bornack. And Estelle Getty, who played Dorothy's mother, Sophia, who was even snarkier, who actually was younger than, in real life, B. Arthur's character, but they made her look way older. It spun off two sitcoms, Empty Nest, which ran for seven seasons by itself, and Golden Palace, which was all of them minus B. Arthur, where they ran a hotel with Cheech. Oh, okay. And it from, was ter- from Cheech and John? Yep. It was terrible. He couldn't even save that dump of a show. Well, let's take a quick listen. Thank you for being The song's first few bars are just enough to let anyone know what the song is about. I mean, it really is. Now, I do know that as of right now, Hallmark Channel plays this show start to finish every night. Really? I mean, like, not the whole season start to finish, but they play for at least three, four hours of Golden Girls and then Frasier. So it's a pretty solid lineup. Yeah. So I've, I've, with my 
wife at home, I've listened to a lot and seen a lot of Golden Girls because that's one of her favorite shows. It's just four lifelong friends, on TV at least, right. that go through thick and thin together. And, you know, honestly, I think those four women were pretty much like that in real life after uh, the show. After the show, yeah. During it, there was apparently some issues. And I, I'll be honest, I wish I had friends that I was that close with that I could grow old and die with, you know? Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I picture us 80 years old sitting in, a, in an old folks' home gaming. Yeah, and then bitching at the kids. <laughs> Get off Get the lawn. lawn. <laughs> hey, uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, guys. As always, if you want to reach out to us, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can send us an email at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're more into the social media stuff, you can find us on Facebook at POI Network or at Musically Challenged Podcast. Any way you want to reach out to us, we're happy to hear from you. So, any final words of wisdom this week, Lou? No, just thank you for being a friend. (laughs) And with that, I want to say thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.